welcome to the 33rd episode of Catch Up on Kids Mental Health. I'm Janet Morrison. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Dan Zaborski about the relationship between exercise and mental health. Dr. Zaborski is a clinical psychologist who assesses and treats children and adolescents with mental health and neurodevelopmental concerns. He has experience in hospital, school, residential, community, and private practice settings. Welcome, Dan. Thanks so much for having me, Janet. Really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Good. Well, this is a this is a I think an important topic as summer is approaching. And I guess the natural first place to begin is we know from research that exercise is good for mental health, but what does that actually mean? That's a really, really great question. And and we certainly know quite a bit about the effect of exercise on adult mental health. And we know a little bit less on the effect of exercise on children and adolescent mental health. And as these things go, we oftentimes do research initially with animals and then with adults. And then over decades of research, we eventually extend that downward to children and adolescent population. But there's kind of a a greater and greater body of literature that is supporting the positive effects of exercise on child and adolescent mental health. And there are a few outcomes that we tend to really, really focus on. And there have been over the last little while, maybe the last 10, 20 years, really kind of like a proliferation of studies and that have accumulated in a number of different meta-analyses and as well as reviews that really focused on anxiety, depression, self-esteem, as well as all sorts of cognitive and academic outcomes. And so what we do see pretty clearly um, is that exercise tends to have positive effect on anxiety, such that the more we exercise, the lower levels of anxiety we might experience. The same is the case when it comes to depression. The link between self-esteem and exercise is a little bit more tenuous and we have a lot and lot of evidence that is accumulating to show really positive effects of exercise on cognitive and academic functions, especially memory and attention. Those are those are pretty key in developing children who have so many important skills to learn and actually learning how to sit still. Absolutely. And we oftentimes think about exercise as you know, having the positive benefits on physical health. We think about respiratory health, we think about endurance, we think about muscular health, skeletal health, all that, those kind of things. Uh, but we don't necessarily think about all these other effects that exercise might be having, but it certainly does. I think we all know, Dan, and I think we all see that small children are inherently physically busy, that they move their bodies a great deal, and we're always tending to try to get them to be still. But that tendency for them to exercise and be active and to be busy in their bodies, it tends to slow down over time, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, What ends up happening is, yeah, children engage in a lot of activity through play-based activities through sports but then as they get older and academic demands increase and the things that they're interested in changes sedentary activity tends to increase and physical activity tends to decrease Um, the world health organization recommends roughly about one hour of physical activity per day now 
in a recent study by The Lancet in 2019, they actually looked at data from 146 countries looking at 1.6 million children. And what they had found, and this is a really staggering statistic, at least in 2016, so this is pre-pandemic when all these different restrictions came into place, that 81% of students globally were not getting the sufficient amount of exercise. And so we could imagine that that number actually skyrocketed over the course of the pandemic when we had all these different restrictions. Um, and my guess is that it was probably above 90%. Which is interesting because, of course, we had such a focus on mental health during the pandemic and the thoughts were mostly about socialization. But you're saying there was also a very important decrease in physical activity as well as a decrease in socialization. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah. And, and I was going to say that in my clinical practice, what I saw over the course of the pandemic is, and I work with a lot of athletes, hockey players, swimmers, dancers, and when all these restrictions came into place and these young people weren't able to engage in physical activity, where they were actively engaging their bodies and their nervous systems, what happened is that the nervous systems actually shut down. And where we saw at least what I was seeing was that these kids were experiencing symptoms of depression in a lot of ways because they were no longer activated in the, in the things that they oftentimes do. Interesting. So given, and of course, we haven't mentioned, but of course, we have a real concern about childhood obesity, which again is is a factor in, in the kinds of foods that children are eating, but also in the, in the, in the lack of exercise. So if children need an hour of exercise a day and they spend a heck of a good portion of their time during the day at school, I would think need to increase or make sure that children are getting more physical exercise during the day, during their school day. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think on average, Canadian youth, about from five to about 17 years of age, are spending about eight and a half to nine hours in sedentary activity. Wow. And we know actually from research that creating opportunities for activity breaks um, and for physical activity at school actually has a lot of positive benefits for kids. And it doesn't necessarily take away from their academic achievement. Well, given what you said earlier about the benefits to concentration and to memory, it would seem to be an enhancement. Absolutely. A good use of their time. Now, do you think that teachers are understand this message? Do you, do you think that the, the schools appreciate and understand the importance of physical activity for children during the course of the day? I think it probably depends. It probably depends on the school, where the school is located, um, the type of resources that the school has, the type of students that they have. Um, and so I think we really see a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, I think teachers are receptive and they are open to learning a little bit about how physical activity impacts mental health and well-being, generally speaking. But I do think that there's quite a bit of variability there. Okay. Do you think that it matters the kind of physical activity that children engage in? Does it matter whether it's uh, one form or another? Does it matter whether it's individual or, or team-based? Well, that's a really, really great question. Um, I think it does matter to an extent. So 
first of all, what I think is really, really interesting is that even low levels of physical activity, meaning walking, standing around, that could actually yield a lot of positive effects on children's mental health. Um, it's not just necessarily vigorous exercise that's going to yield some of those positive effects. Now, to the point that you're making is, you know, exercise in an individual context versus that in a group context. I mean, it's certainly going to yield all the neurobiological benefits that exercise has in both groups. But in a group setting, you're also gaining all these other benefits, the benefit of social contact with coaches, with other peers, with teachers and other community members. Um, this reminds me a little bit of the Harvard, the longest study of human health that was conducted by Harvard. And, you know, they looked at, I think it was a little bit over 700 participants over the course of 75 years. You know, and the strongest predictors of health and outcomes is the quality of relationships that we have. And so, you know, for for I think for children and adolescents, a big part of the benefit that they are yielding from sports and physical activity is the social contact that they have. Makes sense because they don't tend to, to engage in long debates about politics and uh, the economy when they're six and seven and eight years old. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do the children themselves, uh, obviously the children who are on teams, who are high-level athletes of the kind that you're working with and describing, they know the benefits of, of uh, physical health and they see the benefits. What about other children who are kind of getting to their late latency age, early adolescence? Are they receptive, those children that you're seeing with difficulties with anxiety and depression? Do they get it when you talk to them about exercise? Absolutely. I think they do. And in a lot of ways, I think children, adolescents have a preference for physical activity in a lot of ways. They're built to engage in physical activity. You know, human beings are not really meant to be sitting at desks for extended periods of time. And we have a lot of literature showing that actually sitting is extremely unhealthy for us. And that's not just not what our body was built for over the course of evolutionary time. And so kids and teenagers are especially well equipped for physical activity because, well, they haven't been necessarily conditioned to be living in these sedentary lifestyles that society has kind of imposed on them. Except that I certainly, in, in my practice, had a lot of children who were uh, having an enormous amount of difficulty socially, educationally, they were withdrawn, and they were addicted to video games. And it was, you know, they didn't really have either the social connection or the skill in to participate with their peers in higher level kinds of activities of baseball and, and soccer and hockey and so on. And for them, they kind of, once they've kind of lost out or gotten out of that groove, I found it challenging to get them back moving and out of their dark basements and away from their video games. It is extremely difficult to compete with video games. <laughs> yes. Extremely difficult. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what happens is over the course of childhood and adolescence, you know, and, and caregivers, teachers and, and other adults, they don't necessarily, we don't necessarily notice this, but, you know, kids are so regularly exposed 
to video games and TV and all those kind of things to an extent that exceeds their exposure to sports. And so in some ways, we're providing way more opportunity for them to experience the benefits of these sedentary activities as compared to these physical activities. So I'm assuming that what you're implying is that we need parents and teachers to be pretty vigorous and pretty vigilant about maintaining a, a, a balance for, for our kids. I think it definitely falls to the, the responsibility falls on parents, teachers, clinicians, and other adults to create the structure and the routines that might facilitate engagement in physical activity. Absolutely. From the start, from the time the kids are little, so that way they can start developing those really healthy habits that are going to, over time, promote their engagement in physical activity. I think that, I I mean, I understand that. And I think that makes sense. And if the, if the children are going to grow up to be adults who, who appreciate the importance of physical exercise, they, those habits and those experiences have to be kind of hardwired in. Yes. And I think it's, it's those early, early years where those habits really, really start to form. And, you know, I oftentimes, when we're looking at the literature in terms of the benefits of exercise, when we compare the literature from children and adolescents to that of adults, we almost see that the benefits of exercise seem to be a little bit greater in adult populations than child and adolescent populations. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that might be. I think in some ways, the part of that is children and adolescents are generally healthier to begin with as compared to adults when we compare them. Um, but I think what ends up happening is that the benefits of exercise in, during childhood and adolescence, we can think about that as a, almost an investment into the future. It's that investment that's going to have long-term benefits to the health of children and adolescents when they're adults, when they're in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s. Makes sense. Makes sense. We talked a little bit about, about mood, about memory, about concentration. Are there beneficial effects in terms of the way children behave uh, that, that are affected by whether they exercise or don't exercise? There are. So it does seem that children who exercise on a regular basis, whether it's at school or outside of school, tend to, because they're actually benefiting in terms of their cognitive functions, they're able to focus better at school. And so even little bouts of exercise tend to have immediate and longer term effects in terms of their ability to attend, to sit down, to really think and focus, to reason through materials that are being presented to them in the school environment. And they just don't necessarily have that energy that's going to increase behavioral outbursts and issues within the classroom environment. Well, that makes sense too, with antsy little boys in particular, that I always think of them like small puppies. You just need to run around the park several times before you ask them to sit down. Definitely. So, Dan, you've talked to us about a whole lot of different studies and different findings with respect to the importance of exercise for mental health. But do we know what the underlying mechanism or mechanisms are which promote that link between exercise and better psychological functioning? That's a great question. And I'd say that 
this is a fairly complex matter. Um, and I like to kind of think a little bit about this from a biopsychosocial perspective, where we're looking at biological, psychological, as well as social factors that tend to be related or tend to explain how physical exercise might benefit young people and, and adults in general. On the biological side, and I think that this is kind of the, the most juicy part of it all, uh, we could think about exercise as actually regulating the nervous system. And so when we think about mental health, whether it's anxiety or depression or trauma, we could think about it as being a manifestation of a nervous system that is having a hard time regulating itself and adapting to the current situation in a way that's really, really effective. And we could think about that regulation of the nervous system from a dimensional perspective. And so on the one side of the dimension, we have what's called hypoarousal, whereby the nervous system is almost shut down. And that's where we see decreases in heart rate, digestion shut down. Essentially, everything is slowing down. And this is actually really, really consistent with literature that shows that when we experience depression, we experience hopelessness and helplessness. And this is almost like a physiological manifestation of that. Now, as the nervous system becomes increasingly activated, we go into this calm and alert state, and that's generally how we're functioning in day-to-day -day activities, whether we're sitting and reading or gardening or talking to friends. And then as the nervous system increases in its activation, we start to roll into this fight, flight, and freeze response. And that's associated to, or we experience that when we're experiencing different threats and stressors in the course of our lives. And so one way to think about this is that physical activity actually has a benefit in terms of regulating and shifting the baseline of the nervous system. So for example, Somebody who's experiencing depression and they're experiencing depression is characterized by hypoarousal of the nervous system. Everything's shut down. Physical exercise is almost like a kickstart of the nervous system. It boosts the activity levels. So that way, you now the person is able to really experience life in a little bit of a different, engaged way. On the other hand, when somebody's in a little bit more of a fight-flight-freeze response and they're experiencing more anxiety, what ends up happening is that physical activity actually ends up down-regulating the nervous system. And, you know, there are all sorts of different reasons as to why all this happens. And when we think about the nervous system, the nervous system is responsible for which type of neurotransmitters are actually released into the bloodstream and all those kind of things. And so we know that physical exercise increases things like dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, all these, uh, these neurotransmitters that are related to joy, happiness, relaxation, um, reward, all those kind of things. Um, what's also really, really interesting is that exercise actually has an impact on brain volume, structure, and function. And this is really, really interesting. So physical exercise especially tends to increase or promote growth of certain brain structures. One is the hippocampus, and the hippocampus is really related to memory formation. The other is the prefrontal cortex. That's related to or responsible for higher order thinking, attention, so on and so forth. And we're actually seeing that 
exercise because it's increasing blood flow to the brain. It's giving the brain all sorts of nutrients. It's also releasing, helping release all these different neurotransmitters. It's actually promoting brain growth. And this is something that's seen across the age, uh, the lifespan. That's fascinating. I, you know, it turns out, I guess, as what you're saying is that the mind, the body, and our psychological functioning are in fact related. Absolutely. <laughs> we have a funny duality where we sometimes separate the mind and the body, but they are so absolutely related. We do. Um, and and I, I sometimes even think about, you know, the so physical exercise tends to improve sleep as well. We, you know, when we engage in physical activity, our bodies get tired. And so as a result of that, we when we go to sleep, we actually uh, enjoy the function of sleep a little bit more because then the body gets to work and it starts to restore us. One of the, the cool things about sleep is when we're getting into those deeper um, sleep states, what actually happens is our body puts our brain through a laundry machine. There's spinal fluid that flushes the brain to get rid of all of these neurotoxins that have accumulated over the course of the day. Plus, with sleep, as it improves, it's actually, it helps to promote an, a memory formation and consolidation. And so you have all these different effects that exercise has on health in general. Well, that's a pretty compelling set of arguments as to why we should be getting out and exercising on a pretty darn regular basis. I want to thank you so much for this conversation, Dan. It's been really helpful. And I think people don't understand and don't know the kinds of mechanisms that you've so clearly outlined for us as to the relationship between sleep and, and better functioning and mental health. So I appreciate it very much. Thank you for this. Thanks for having me, Janet. Really appreciate it as well. What I really liked about Dan's approach was just how clearly he was able to make the connections between physiological functioning and mental health and, and mood as well. We talk a lot about regulating our emotions, but he's talking about the regulation of the of the body leading to regulation of the mind, leading to regulation of the emotions. And it's such an important message. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Janet Morrison. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.